Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for joining us for today's panel on communication during crisis. I've been so fortunate to uh, chat with over 150 remarkable people that have thought deeply about adversity, leadership, and have set up intentional lives for themselves to perform at their best. So I host a podcast. It's called the Intentional Performers Podcast. And the four people that you're seeing on this screen have all been guests on my podcast. So um, I know that they're qualified to talk about our subject today. And the coronavirus has certainly created challenges for so many throughout the world. And it's my hope that these panel discussions will help those that are in need, which is really all of us. Uh, while everyone on this panel has tremendous expertise, I also want to note that what we're going through is truly unprecedented. And there may be questions that the panelists don't have the answer to, and, and that's okay. This isn't designed to give you the answer to every question you have. Instead, it's designed to have you think deeply about how you can handle this challenging time. So I'm gonna have each one of them introduce themselves, um, and then we're gonna have a great discussion today. So grateful to have you tune in, and certainly grateful to have our panelists give their time to share their wisdom. And we're gonna start with Melissa. So Melissa, give us an introduction into the work that you do, uh, and, and we'll have you take it from there. Sure, thanks for having me, Brian. Um, this is a great initiative. So my name is Melissa Agnes. I am a specialist in what I call crisis readiness. I, on my everyday, outside of COVID, help organizations become crisis ready. So looking at, it's not just about having a crisis management plan that sits on a shelf, but actually having a crisis ready culture that is able to detect things in real time, any type of you know, incident issue, red flag in real time, is able to assess its material impact on the organization. So is it an issue versus is it a crisis? And then from there is able to instinctively and empowered to not just manage the incident to you know, put it to bed and suffer the least amount of long-term material impact, but to actually come out of any negative event with increased trust and credibility built in, um, or earned, I should say, throughout you know, the management of the incident. So very high level, that's what I do. Um, I have a book, Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World. Um, I just launched the Crisis Ready Institute, which is designed to really bring that culture to as many organizations as possible. Very high level, that's it. Awesome, Melissa. And when all this started going down, you were one of the first people I reached out to uh, just because it, it seemed like the world could use your message. So I'm excited to learn more from you during this time. Betsy, why don't you give us an introduction into your background and what you're up to? Sure. Thanks so much for having us on, Brian, and putting us all in the same virtual room. I'm Betsy, the coach's coach and communication specialist. My last name is Butterick. Uh, high level, I'm a coach who's always in season, who uses words in place of a whistle. My background is in athletics, and I played sports through college and then spent 10 years in women's basketball, Division One, year in the WNBA with the Seattle Storm, and then Division Three and Division Two. I now work full-time as the coach's coach, so an executive coach for coaches of all sports, men and women. And then I work with athletic departments and teams on the topics most important to them, specifically communication. So I run a variety of workshops, everything from championship communication to leadership communication to Confrontation for connection. How do we have those difficult conversations in a way that builds trust and relationship? I'm very fortunate to get to do what I do. I have a made-up job essentially, but it's one that provides a lot of value for individuals and teams and is incredibly rewarding. The place that I operate from is that the buzzword most often associated with high-performing teams inside of sports and outside is chemistry. Chemistry is formed through connection and at the heart of connection is communication. Since communication is a skill, 
if we can build that skill, and we can, anybody can, when we build that skill, we start to intentionally form the connection that leads to the chemistry that we know we need for high performance. So that's what I get to do on a daily basis. And uh, the response to the cessation of sport since March 12th, I have a webinar on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel. If you search Betsy Butterick, there's a webinar called Game On, A Season of Choice. And that was my initial response to, okay, we don't have sport anymore. We can't practice. We can't see our teams. For athletic directors and coaches, options of what they can do, what can we choose in the absence of what we're used to in terms of the traditional season. So that's me. Thank you so much, Betsy. Dan, why don't we go to you? Yeah. Hey, uh, Brian, again, thanks for, thanks for having me. And it's so cool to meet the, the people who've spoken so far. Definitely feels like I'm in the right room. Uh, I have a podcast called The Conversation Factory. And I coach, consult, and train teams and leaders on how to design conversations. So the, 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 the joke that I like to make is that I design conversations for a living, but everyone else does that too. And we're, as you said, Betsy, like communication, collaboration, it's really core to everything from sports to teamwork in the boardroom. And I come at the challenge from a design perspective. I used to work in industrial design and product innovation. And when you're designing a physical product and you want to make the physical product better, you like, you know what to change. There's sexual things you can touch and feel if you want to redesign an object. And when I was working in product and experience design, if you want to redesign a product or an experience, we have something called customer experience design. That's a thing too. And so we try to figure out how to redesign those experiences to make them better. But when it comes to communication and collaboration, I think it can get fuzzy and floofy really easily. And so what I've been doing for the last several years is trying to identify when we are designing conversations, and I think we're all designing conversations pretty much all the time, what are we actually designing? What are the things that we can grip hold of and change to make them better? And I love the idea of being an intentional performer, right? Which is what you're all about, Brian. And for me, if we can be more mindful and intentional in how we design conversations in our everyday meetings, in our boardrooms, our one-on-ones and culture, honestly, I think the world will be a better place. So that's, that's what I'm all about. No, and I have a book coming out uh, called Good Talk, How to Design Conversations That Matter. It's only slightly delayed because of this black swan event, but it should be coming out really, really soon. Awesome, Dan. Bram, why don't you take us home? Sure. Uh, I'm Bram Weinstein. I um, am a broadcaster by trade. I've been on air for 25 years. I can be heard weekdays on ESPN 630, the sports capital, 3 to 6 p.m. I'm doing sports radio without sports. So that's been an interesting change for the last couple of weeks. Uh, Over the last few years, I've become an entrepreneur as well. I own a podcast production network called Empire, which is based out of Bethesda, Maryland. We have eight shows and three series in production right now. We're growing um, mostly in the sports lifestyle and crime genre space. I co-own a consulting company called Real Media Group, where we work with talent development and production strategy for newsrooms around the country. And those conversations the last couple of weeks, as most broadcasts have become mobile, uh, have been very interesting uh, as we try to work with their talent and their communities to uh, deliver accurate, positive, optimistic newscasts that are based in reality, oftentimes from people's living rooms. So this has been an interesting time for that. 
Um, and I think that's it. That's what I'm doing now. I'm probably, well, I'm an adjunct professor as well. And it's funny because I teach writing and we're talking about effective communication here. And I talk often about how this skill set will change your life if you learn how to utilize it, whether you're going to write for a web or write for PR or just try to get out of a traffic ticket. Awesome, Bram. Thank you so much. So, Melissa, I want to start with you. You said something in the intro about a crisis versus an issue. And we, call this a crisis, at least a lot of it has been branded a crisis. So I'm curious to understand the distinction between a crisis and an issue as it relates to your clients. Okay, so good question. And this is most certainly a crisis for you know every single person in the world, business, um, pretty much. So issue is a negative event or situation that doesn't stop business as usual. It's a negative event, right? It's unpleasant, but I see issue management as kind of like your business as usual on hyperdrive, or it's the part of your job that you don't like to do, but you have to do as a part of your job. Versus a crisis is a an event or situation that stops business as usual to some extent and requires immediate escalation straight to the top of leadership because it requires their their foresight, it requires their strategic, you know, guidance and decision making because it threatens long-term material impact on one to all of the following five things. So on people, stakeholders, on um, operations, on the environment, if that's applicable, on reputation and or on bottom line. So long-term material impact on people, the environment, business operations, reputation and or bottom line. So if you look at COVID, what's interesting about COVID is that it's, it's affecting every business pretty much differently and yet a lot of similarities. And pretty much every business right now is in crisis management mode or is in crisis mode versus issue management mode. It's, it's really interesting. And I like how clear you are with that. Betsy and Dan, and maybe we'll go to Betsy first and then we'll kick it over to Daniel. As far as leaders, you, talk, you both talked about leadership communication. I'm curious, what are your conversations like right now with leaders as far as how they're communicating to their people that are going through this? Absolutely. A common question. I mean, the question I've heard most often since sports stopped is the calls and texts and emails from coaches asking, what do I say? How do I talk to my team about the grief process that they're going through of losing their seasons, some for good, even though the NCAA is granted an extra year of eligibility, it's, it's not realistic for some student athletes. How do I talk to my student athletes that never get the closure that, that they're looking for? How do I talk to them about the uncertainty of these times? And the thing that I keep coming back to with every coach that I talk with is this idea of worry less about saying the right thing and more about saying the true thing. So I was listening to a podcast by Brene Brown the other day, and, and she mentioned the difference between uncertain and unsafe. And I do a lot of work with Generation Z and how we can more effectively coach Gen Z student athletes. This is a huge distinction for that population specifically, which is all of college athletics and below currently. This idea of technology has given today's student athlete immediate access to information, so much so that there is very rarely a time where they need to feel uncertain. They have enough information that they can disseminate and then pick a direction that they want to go. This is very much a time where they may be practicing for one of the first times in their lives uncertainty. And because uncertainty is so unpracticed, it's very easy for it to feel unsafe. As leaders, as educators, as mentors, one of the strongest things that we can do, one of the most courageous things in this time is to be with them in that space, to show them that 
uncertain does not have to mean unsafe. And to say as a leader, I don't know, but I know we'll figure it out together. We feel responsible, I think, as leaders to have the answer, to model that way forward. And this, as you said, Brian, is, I mean, it's a completely unprecedented situation. There's no playbook. There's no script to show up as ourselves and say, yeah, this is scary. And I don't know what's going to happen. And we'll figure it out together. That's the best piece of advice I can offer to those looking for that answer to what do I say? Hey, hey Daniel, yeah. Melissa, go ahead. Just very quickly, because there's a crisis ready formula for to help people to in exact alignment with what you're saying, Betsy, which is um, so basically when you're trying to get over or speak through that emotion, heightened emotional times, right? Or just emotional sensation, sentiment, um, emotion, because we can't ever beat emotion with logic, right? It's never going to work. We're blocked when we're emotional. And even the best of us are blocked when we're emotional. So there's the Christ Ready formula for actually doing that. So there's, um, and it's perfectly in alignment with what you just said. The first thing is to validate emotion. So even if you think about when you're in a quarrel with a loved one, right, you're both kind of butting heads, you're seeing things differently, you're arguing for whatever reason, unless one or both of you feel that you are actually being heard, right? You're being acknowledged, you're being heard, you're being validated. You never even have a chance at a resolution until that. You're going to keep butting heads until both of you feel heard and acknowledged. So validate the emotion. The second is then to relate what matters to that person. So what matters to you matters to me. And here's why and here's how and just all of that. So now they feel validated and they feel united, relatable. And then you can come in with whatever logic or whatever the times call for. Like maybe it's a strategy, maybe it's a best foot forward, maybe it's some kind of statistics or numbers, depending on the circumstance, right? So it's validate, relate emotionally, and then come in with your proof, what I call. So I love that. And thank you. Everything you just said. You're welcome. Yeah, that's perfect. And I think really helpful for those listening, seeing valued, appreciated are things that we talk about in sports often. If we as coaches, if that's your only goal to make people feel seen, valued, and appreciated regardless of skill level that's going to equate to a whole individual that feels like they can perform yeah. at their best. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Bram, I was actually curious to get your perspective. And Daniel, I know I was going to get your thoughts on it, but Bram, I want to just kick it to you real quick. As Betsy was talking about dealing with the unknown, I, I thought about your job in the world that you live in, which is sports is all about the unknown. First of all, two teams play and, if they knew who was going to win, there'd be no point in playing and it wouldn't be that interesting. Uh, and then second, you have to go on the air every day for three hours and talk. And there's an unknown that occurs there. And then the third piece is the unknown of dealing with a microphone right now when sports isn't sports has stopped. How do you handle all that? How do you think about that? And how, how do you leverage your expertise in communication? So um, I hate this. I've, I've said this word a lot lately, and I think it's the wrong word, but I don't have a better one for it right now, which is this is an opportunity. Um, and I, I don't think it's the right, it it's, comes from the wrong place, but it's the only word I can think of that really kind of encapsulates how I feel about what's happening for content providers, newsrooms, what I do for a living. Um, this is an opportunity to show how you effectively communicate. This is an opportunity to show how enterprising you can be. This is an opportunity for you to provide optimism where appropriate, uh, cast in realism at the same time. Um, it's funny, like in my space in sports, you know, we keep getting told to you need to be a distraction and you've got to fill this time and people are looking to you to not hear about this. 
And I don't necessarily think that that's specifically the right way to go, that I think that your listeners and your audience are better served if you are as human as possible. And to try to ignore like that this is happening, I think does a disservice to you. Can you communicate in a way that helps either bring levity, optimism, and real cogent news at the same time and be entertaining at the same time? It's hard. You know, it's not an easy accomplishment. Um, you know, we're in like week three or four of this now. So far, I haven't found it to be that much of a struggle yet to get through these shows. Um, not a large portion of it um, is devoted to the virus itself. However, I think it's impossible for it to not come up because I want to relate to my audience and we're all living through the same things. Uh, but this is, and I talk to a lot of people that I work with about this, that there are a lot of opportunities here. It's, it's maybe not the right way to put it, but it is. And if you can kind of lean into those opportunities, provide a service, communicate your brand, express optimism, be helpful to your community in ways, um, there are things that when we get out of this, they're going to be extremely beneficial by taking that position. It's interesting, Graham, you're talking about it because I started thinking about 9-11 and when 9-11 happened and how sports went back to normal and how it played a role in our society for people. And to have everything sort of frozen right now, there's almost this notion. It's like, well, can we stop laughing? Can we stop having fun? Like even April Fool's, like, can we actually have April Fool's? It's this debate now. And so I think yeah. it's, a, it's a really interesting question. I think everybody's wondering is what's appropriate? And you even, I even hear you hesitating to say opportunity because it's like, is that inappropriate because people are losing lives and people are losing jobs and people are losing businesses? Yeah. Um, Daniel, you live in the world of conversation um, and, and creating and, and thinking about this stuff. So what's your perspective on that? And feel free to take this in whatever direction you want to take it in. Thanks, brother. I mean, yeah, so I'll see if I can just pull a couple of threads together from what I've been hearing. I mean, Yeah. Bram, you're absolutely right. It does. I'm definitely seeing, and I'm sure everyone else is seeing their net, their LinkedIn feed just blow up with everyone writing a post about how to do remote meetings and you know how to collaborate asynchronously. And there's friends of mine who have been doing this for years, and now suddenly we all have to manage it. And not only that, we have to learn how to manage ourselves. So, Melissa, the 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 framework that you put together is really similar to Yale's RAIN formula, which is about emotional intelligence. And so one of the things that I think, when I think about all of the conversations we have to have, like, yeah, we have to have that tough conversation, Betsy, with our team and with our players about the real grief and loss that they're going through. But before that, there's actually a conversation we have to have with ourselves. And it's actually really, really easy to, as a leader, to leave that conversation off because there are so many other people that we are concerned about taking care of, but self-management and self-awareness is without a doubt the most important component, I would say. If that's not there, that's foundational. Everything else falls apart. And so the, the four steps of Yale's reign is recognize what is happening, allow life to just be as it is, investigate your inner experience, and the end is non-identification. And that's actually really hard. If we talk about designing a conversation that is a hard design to do with yourself. And so when I teach facilitation to people, 
the first thing I say is you have to be able to get in touch with what's going on for yourself. You have to be able to be mindful and aware and to connect with, I'm uncomfortable, I'm nervous, I'm grieving. These are uncomfortable emotions. And I think that's what a leader needs to do. They need to be seen, they need to say what they're experiencing. If they're just saying, we're all going through this or you're going through all this, I don't think it communicates in the same way as saying, I am just as scared as you all are right now. And there's a lot of uncertainty. But what I do know is blank. And yeah, sorry, go ahead, Brian. Daniel and and Betsy, I'm going to just jump in and then feel free to. But there is this challenge for leaders where we've been told vulnerability is a good thing. Brene Brown, who, who Betsy mentioned, has been, you know, trumpeting that. And then I'm hearing you talk about being human and being truthful. And there's research that shows that when leaders are too humble and they're not providing, you know, um, answers and they're not saying, hey, we're good. This is the direction we need to go in, that that can backfire as well. So I know a lot of my conversations with my clients is trying to figure out that line of, hey, I want to be vulnerable and let them know that this is difficult for me too. And I'm here to support our organization and do what it takes to help you. And I'm here for you. And, And so- Daniel, jump in and Betsy. I'm going to jump in. Can I jump in? I don't don't think it's a line that you're on one side or the other. It's a line in terms of there's a spectrum and you have to move around it. And so obviously on one side of the spectrum is like uh, just crying alone in my room or actually feeling nothing. On the other, other side of the line is like pretending everything's fine and then telling everybody it's fine. And which is like not the right side of the spectrum to be on. We, it's our job as leaders to create a safe space for others. And leaders have to be able to find their own safe space, which is why people need coaches. That's why people come to Betsy. You create a safe container where they can process what they need to process and then design their approach to sharing where they, what parts of themselves they are going to share that seems safe to share with others. So I wouldn't say it's a line. I think it's a, it's a spectrum and we each have to navigate it. But I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you have seen like, what was it? The Marriott CEO. He was really real. He was real and everyone was commenting about how um, connected they felt to him because he was expressing what he was going through. Nobody in this day and age wants like just an iron jaw saying, we're all going to get through this. Yeah, to pivot off of that, Daniel, absolutely. I mean, the, the phrase nothing resonates like authenticity is true for a reason and more than right, wrong, good, bad, you know, poised uh, or dismantled. Being authentic and connecting in this time of physical isolation is one of the most constructive ways forward that I feel like we can we can have as a society, as a community. And that same question of, you know, what do I say? There was a coach this past Thursday who was meeting with her team and they have international players. So this is a team meeting that happens once a week given their different schedules. And it was Thursday and just was checking in with her. I said, you know, how are you doing? Like, what are things like in your world? And she said, I'm really having a tough time, but I'll get it together by Saturday. And I said, what if you didn't get it together? Like, what would that look like if, if you showed up to your team and said, hey, I'm worried about my elderly parents that are in a hot zone right now. You know, I'm stressed about the fact that, you know, I might have to let one of our assistants go. Now, they don't need to tell them all those details, but to show up with whatever is going on for you and or to take some of the responsibility off yourself and, and put it towards them, you know, to ask questions that allow for them to have dialogue to the point where you don't have to say much. You can simply absorb and be with your people in a way that feels connected and yet 
taking the responsibility from having to show up as a certain thing or in a certain way. I agree, Betsy. I th- and I think it's, it's a choice or it should be a choice. For sure. Leaders, leaders should yeah. be aware, people need to be aware that they have choices and, and a choice could be to show up and pretend to be fine. <laughs> right. And mm-hmm. that is like, if that's what you think that's the group really needs, that's your choice. But I think, uh, like you said, everybody's got access to so much information and mm-hmm. pretending to be perfect is a, it's, it's not a long-term strategy. Yeah. It's, it's eventually something that's going to be a crack. And Brand, um, you mentioned opportunity and th- there's so much opportunity right now. I've, I think I've thought of it personally as a time of innovation. We're seeing coaches have to innovate in the ways that they recruit virtually. We're seeing teams have to innovate in the way that they train remotely. This is such a rich time of innovation and also of people making an intentional effort to connect in a way that they haven't had to before. And I love what I'm seeing through social media of the ways that countries are connecting, that individuals on teams are connecting, that the walls that we've put up of different than or separate from have completely crumbled. I'm in San Diego. I still get to run outside. One, I've seen more people in my neighborhood than I've ever seen before. It's like, oh, you live here? Hey. But also, you know, people on opposite sides of the street will intentionally look up and say hi. Two days in a row, 14 people one day, 26 the next day. Every single person I passed waved or said hello. Every single person. Before I hope they were six feet away when you waved. That didn't happen. Well, yeah, most of them were across the street or, you know, we do this like wide loop thing. But it's just, it's amazing when we've slowed down because of this crisis, the way that people have chosen connection. And I love that about this time. Yeah, I, I remember you, Brian, you mentioned 9-11. And what I remember most in the aftermath of 9-11 was just how generally nice everybody was to one another. Because I think we all realized that we were more connected because of what happened, because it happened to all of us. And there's a specific incident that happened in Washington, D.C., where I live. Um, and if any of you are local, you'll remember this. But there was a case some years ago, 10 to 15 years ago, of a, a psychotic guy and a child who were snipers and they were randomly choosing people and shooting them and it really shut down our city for a period of time and there was behaviors that were occurring because of this they didn't know where they were they had no real you know they had no real clues as to who they were they were wrong about the types of vehicles they were driving they were shutting down the beltway a major artery here pulling over the wrong type of vehicle to find these people and in the interim what people were doing were closing their blinds when they would pump their gas they would lay their seat back so they weren't outside in front of a gas station they were running in zigzags into stores and what's going on right now feels like a merge of these two that there's a genuine kind of niceness that's growing out of the community because we're all suffering the same thing and yet we're all exhibiting very strange unusual behaviors because we're forced to and have to and it's interesting to see what that reset looks like at the end of this when things calm down and the masks come off and we can go to a restaurant and eat and feel safe again and just be normal again. It'll be interesting to see how we're communicating and relating to one another at the end of that. You know what I've noticed, Bram, is like, it is in my lifetime, we've never had, 9-11 is, is an interesting example because I feel like in some ways as a New Yorker, it happened in New York, it also happened in DC and then the rest of the world watched this is something that literally everybody is going through the same thing and checking in, having check-ins on calls has always been important. Just like having a little moment to connect with everybody on a call. And now it actually is really happening because people really actually want to know what's going on with everyone. And so every call that I've been on, there is this much more human moment where everyone 
really wants to know, how are you? Are you and your family okay? How is it in your city? And it's wonderful. We're, we're not getting straight into business. There's actually a moment where we all really want to connect with each other as humans, which is great. I hope that doesn't, I hope that doesn't go away when we go back to like, all right, everybody, what's this total bullshit thing that we have to talk about? Let's go look at the digital whiteboard that we have to talk about now. Daniel, I actually realized when we started this, I didn't do that with all of you. And, and you were the last person of, of the four of us to, or the four panelists to jump in. And I was like, all right, let's get going because I wanted to make sure we got going. And I actually wrote down human question mark on a note here because I'm curious. Like Melissa asked me, she was the first one on and we were talking about how this is impacting business and how things are going. But I'm curious how this is impacting all of you because I'm hearing all of you say being authentic and being human and you know, really checking in with yourself. And Melissa, maybe we'll start with you, then we'll go to Betsy and Daniel and Bram, and maybe each of you just provide a little insight into how you're self-caring so that you can communicate and do your job uh, to the best of your ability. Um, I don't know about all of you um, at all, but I find there's good days and there's bad days. Today's not such a great day. Um, yesterday was an okay day, but Friday was a great day. Um, it's what I focus on is how I can, what, what's in my control? What can I do? How can I help? How can I serve? Who can I serve? How can I spread messages that actually resonate and actually provide value? Um, but even then I have to remind myself consciously to stop doing that because <laughs> otherwise you're just going to end up spinning your wheels. Right. Um, so I've designated one day a week, which is big for me to do nothing, to do no work related to anything. There's no, technology, there's no news, there's no reading, there's no, unless it's like personal reading. Um, the first Sunday that I did that, I'm, I'm staying, I'm self-quarantined today, uh, 21 days and I'm self-isolated in Florida with a friend. And the first Sunday that I did that, she looked at me, she's like, it doesn't count if you're stressing about that you're not working. Like that doesn't count. And so that was the first half of the Sunday. And then the it second half It still counts, of the Sunday, Melissa, your, your roommate's It wrong. really doesn't. No, she was completely right because I wasn't taking a pause at all. So I ended up, you know, putting on some yoga clothes, getting kind of some fresh air and then doing um, a video for, for Instagram where I kind of just talked about that and said, the challenge for me for to stop is, is I don't know how to stop really. So you have to stop. And then the other thing is that I create a space where I'm sure that many of you can relate to this and create a space talking with leaders who are strong for everybody all the time. And then when they talk to me, they're allowed to be human, right? We create a space where we can talk about how they feel, what they're going through, and then we can talk about business strategy afterwards. And so on my end, most days I'm able to kind of just zip up and take it, but not take it, and then give what I can give in terms of energy back. And then I find um, there's a lot of that right now. There's a lot of energetic weight um, in the world. And some days I can't just zip up. So it's, it's an interesting curve of, you know, how do I balance all of that? And I don't really have the answer fully, fully yet, because I find that it's kind of getting worse as I go. I'm just experiencing more of the heaviness as I go. And so trying to counterbalance that. I don't know if that made any sense. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it did, Melissa. And my thank you for, for your honesty and transparency. I, I feel like you just told my story in a lot of ways of, the first two weeks, and I go for March 12th because so much of my work and world re revolves around sports. So when that stopped, the real work began. And I got to the two-week mark, which also felt like maybe five days. I mean, the time went so fast because I was going, going, going. 
And it wasn't until a friend and colleague who's a sports psychologist sent me a message and said, have you stopped yet? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, Betsy, have you stopped yet? Like, I know you, you know, and I wasn't sleeping. I was sleeping maybe two hours a night because even when I wasn't working, I was thinking about what can I do? How can I serve? What can I give? What's next? What's next? And I think I might've talked to you, Brian, during this time, like in the early stage of that uh, for our podcast. And, and I realized at the two week mark after this all started for us seriously in the United States. And I think the sports world really was one of the first major industries to say, we'll go first. We're stopping. We're stepping back because this is bigger than us. Um, self-care has become really hard. And it's one of those, I talk to coaches all the time about it, like the need for self-care, you can't pour from an, an empty cup. And my cup was so empty. And I was, you know, trying to gulp down air and still pour more things into people. And I told my wife the other day, I said, it's, it's challenging for me because I feel like if I'm not actively doing something to serve during this time, then I'm not doing what I'm capable of doing. And so it's been really tough to step back into process. The counter to that is when I do stop and really start to take in and process, it's easy for the feelings to become overwhelming. My twin brother and his wife and their baby live in Manhattan. And I'm reading the numbers coming out of New York of how many people are dying a day. And I'm reading stories from friends that are in the healthcare services world of people dying without loved ones at their side and never getting to say goodbye. And when you stop and take that in, like that's a lot, you know? Um, so I'm trying to be conscious of slowing down enough to refuel and to feel everything that comes up without moving to fix it or change it, because I know that's important and that's gonna help create better work to pour into others when it's time to go again. So thank you for sharing what you did. Thank you for sharing. And when you say that um, you, when you stop or when you, you just don't feel like you're doing enough and that you can do more, that you have the capacity to do, and it's, it's like a responsibility and accountability that you have on yourself, that resonated. So thank you. I forgot the order we were supposed to share in. You can go next. All this right, isn't school. Anyone can <laughs> well, you know, I want to respect your facilitation role. <laughs> no, I mean, right. you're going to have to give me uh, advice after all this on facilitation. <laughs> Not, no, like, no, no advice. Only, yeah. only, only, only coaching. All right, good. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because the middle of March, I was supposed to go to Amsterdam for a week of workshops and events to promote my book, which was supposed to come out April 1st. And the week after that, I was going to go to Baltimore for a week of workshops with one of my clients. And at the beginning of March, everything started to unravel. And my entire business has been in-person workshops and facilitation. Like I, I, I'm, I'm great in the room. That's what I do. <laughs> and I think I freaked out because I was, I saw what was happening and I was like, this is real. This is existential for me personally as in my own business and in my life, which is, which is how I survive, right. Is serving people in the way that I do. And I just immediately had to pivot very, very hard into being able to serve people in the digital space. And it's a lot harder. It's also a lot awesomer and more fun. Like I'm going to run a, masterclass tonight for the next four weeks. And I have to say, like, if this is the new normal, like talk about opportunities, Bram, like getting into planes a lot was not the best part about my job. 
like definitely not the best part about what I do. And being able to be on a call with 15 people for three hours and then get off and be like, well, that was fun. I'm going to have dinner with my fiance now. Um, that's, that's actually tremendous. But also this whole month, Melissa, you were spot on. Like it's been excruciating and enervating to constantly feel like I have to do and to think and to make and all that stuff. And on top of that, I was supposed to get married in June. Uh, and my fiance and I have, have had different metabolism rates of that fact. My parents are in their late seventies and in June they will still be in their late seventies and there will be no vaccine. And I proposed this essential concept to my fiance early in the month. And I was like, Mm, this is still going to be true. And she was like, you're being cynical. I'm like, I'm being super realistic right now. And then a week later, we sent an email to everyone saying like, maybe look at your cancellation policies. And that was a really hard email to write. And then a week later, she was like, I just canceled the wedding. I was like, you emailed everyone without talking. She just then, she just shot way ahead of me. And they're like, we're canceling. And yeah, there's a lot of grief about, the parts of my life that are no longer normal and the things that I can't have. Like we, we're not bridezillas, she and I, but we designed a affordable wedding that felt like us. And we designed that ceremony. We, we storyboarded it out. And, and I'm like, well, maybe it happened in an alternate universe. Like I, cause I can picture it. I can picture the marriage, the wedding that we wanted to have. And it's like, maybe it did happen in another universe. And <laughs> I can still enjoy the fact that it kind of happened and I can laugh about it with you all, but there's definitely been parts where we're like, we're really sad about the fact that we've lost that. And that's real. But when I look at what I've lost compared to like what you talked about, Betsy, like I'm in New York City too. And there, there are not bodies piled up outside of my window, but um, it is, it's serious what's happening. You know, I have a friend whose father lives in Elmhurst, Queens, across the street from the hospital, who is in his late 70s. And he has to bring his dad food because he can't go outside. And so like, that's what's up. That's what's happening. At the same time, and I'm sorry if I'm ranting on this, but it's like, I think one of the biggest challenges is that everyone is having their own experience of this. And to say that like, oh, I can't feel sad because I'm not actually dying or have somebody who is directly dying. That's a really, that's not a position that I think anybody should feel like they should put themselves in, which is like, you know, my problems aren't as big as blank. I'm in a men's group and I co-facilitate the men's group. We've had to move that remotely and it is a lot harder. And I listened to a radio story about AA and how they've, I'm like, okay, my men's group is just so I can like be emotionally intelligent and like, it's like better than therapy. Can you imagine AA? Like here are people who require a weekly meeting to stay sober in this crazy time and you have a lot of older alcoholics who are not that good at this technology stuff. Uh, the, Daniel, the, Daniel, it's interesting what you just did, which is, sorry, yeah, you, no, you just took perspective. And so there's a difference between comparing and perspective taking. Yeah, and, that's fair. Uh, if I've done nothing else it, during these conversations is people's perspectives have been amazing to hear. And I think it's an important aspect to have. And I like, no one's trauma is any worse or better than anyone else's. Like trauma is trauma. And I can have perspective and gratitude um, for the fact that I'm not in the hospital right now and that I am healthy for now. Um, I, I think perspective is important. Bram, I want to get your perspective on all this. Good transition. Watch the, uh, Good job. 
I watched a uh, bar mitzvah on Zoom over the weekend, so that was a new one. <laughs> that was unusual. Oh, um, extra, extra boring, yeah. even more boring than, our, than they are in person. <laughs> it went longer than the ones that are typically <laughs> live, and that, that was, so I was a little furious with the rabbi at that point. <laughs> I was like, come on, man, expedite this thing. Uh, so, um, you know, my perspective is, you know, honestly, maybe, I don't know, I, this probably <laughs> doesn't sound right, but like, I'm all right so far. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, listen, I'm trying not to focus on all the terrible things that are going on. I'm cognizant of them. Um, I have two kids at home. My goal is to shelter them as best as possible and not to lie to them or not tell them what's happening and explain that this is an unprecedented event that hopefully will never happen in their lifetime again. Explain why play dates aren't a possibility right now. Um, it's also been a time to get back to some of the things that make me happy that I haven't had time to do. Like, I'm cooking a lot now and I'm creating some things that I haven't done before. I'm changing exercise routines and um, I like being home with them. You know, like when you go and go and go, sometimes you lose sight of the things that are most important to you and um, they're comic relief for me and they're fun to be around and it's nice to take care of them. And I also have an older mother who watches in my opinion, a bit too much Fox news. So there's been some discussions of, <laughs> please stop going outside, <laughs> you know, please try to, you know, adhere to social distancing. You are one of the people that is more at risk than others and trying to get through to her, how important that is. But, um, you know, I think largely like, look, I, I think um, there's a groundhog day effect that's going on, I think for all of us. And I'm trying to get around that. But uh, to this point, my work life has not been overly disrupted. I assume that if this goes on for a period of time, it will. And then my days will change um, outside of me being in my basement as opposed to my studio. Um, but I'm using the things that really make me happy to kind of get me through it. And that's my kids and my family and the optimism that we're going to get through this and that we're a smart world and we have smart scientists who are going to come up with solutions and, you know, we'll be kicking off a football season before we know it. And can I? Yeah, go ahead, Melissa. Matt, yeah. So, Bram, you were mentioning talking earlier about optimism or opportunity, not optimism, but opportunity. And you didn't really know what that right word was or where the balance was. Um, I teach a thing in terms of Christ ready cultures, and it's about choosing your lens. And that's everything that I hear from you every time you've spoken is you're choosing your lens. You're choosing to see things from an opportunistic in a good way in a how can I serve? How can I do better? How can I bring better to myself? How can I bring better to my family and to your audiences? Um, so just kind of for what that's worth, it's we all, you know, we talked earlier about it's everybody has a choice. Everything in our every single day, all the time is a choice. We're, we're lucky to be able to make the choices or have the choice that we have um, in every single moment of every single day and choosing your lens is a choice. And I think that you're a great example of that. So thank you. Thank you. I mean, like, I'm not trying to be tone deaf because I don't want this to come off the wrong way. Like, I'm extremely cognizant of what's going on. And I'm worried about it, too. And we have friends in Manhattan who two weeks ago, I was begging to leave and just go somewhere else, you know, be away from the epicenter of this. And um, but, you know, I, I do, you know, really want to focus on the great things in my life. And um, and I think that it just better served for mental health for everybody to remain optimistic about all this, that this time shall pass like all others. But to be safe in the meantime and, and be cognizant of what's happening in your surroundings, but to use this time to reflect on how you can better yourself. And, you know, for me, that's uh, learning how to make my own homemade curry. So you know, that makes me feel good to do it.
Yeah. You know, uh, it's so, also good for your health brand. Just, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Daniel, I think you nailed it when you were talking about the idea of, a, you know, are we, do we, should we be vulnerable or should we be powerful, right? Like the idea of polarity in the sense that we can actually hold two things at once. And I think it's a really important reminder that people can be scared and grateful at the same time. And it's actually like a pretty human experience. And too often we say, you should just be grateful. It's like, wait a second. Well, and that is leadership. Yeah. That like, so being able to actually contain that set of emotions. Yeah, Einstein, actually, Einstein, Einstein actually defined genius as, oh no, wait. It was uh, who wrote um, uh, The Great Gatsby, Fitzgerald. F. F. Scott Fitzgerald said it is the mark of a first rate intelligence to be able to hold two opposing ideas at the same time and basically not like fall apart or deconstruct. You can Google it. And I think when it comes to emotional intelligence, that is also true. To be able to say, I am sad and this is hard and there is going to be a tomorrow and we have to get ready for it right now, everyone. Both of those things are true. Yeah, I think it's an and situation. So I think this is a lot of an and situation instead of a but situation. And for me, and I'll just share and then we'll start winding down here is my daughter, who's, who's three, and Bram, as you were talking, I could relate to it. Like she has been mommy, mommy, mommy all the time since she was born. And I'm a pretty present dad. I'm home almost every night for dinner. I try to limit the amount of planes I'm on, like Daniel was talking about. I put my office as close to my house as possible. And so like I've created an intentional life to try to really be in service to my daughter, but it hasn't worked up until now. I will tell you in the last three weeks, my daughter is now hugging me and kissing me more than ever. And like, what, what's more important than that than to like actually create a bond and connection with my daughter? And I think it might be because after we record this, I'm going to go down and just say, see her and just be here and just, and you know, instead of watching sports at night, you know, we're, we're talking or there's just been more of those little connections that we've been able to make that I think are the connections, those little moments that often lead to thread. So there's hope for all of us. If my daughter starts to ask me to rock her at night instead of her mom, and it's been glorious and this has been difficult. And I think difficult things, just because something isn't easy doesn't mean it's not valuable. And oftentimes we grow from challenging times. And so I think, Bram, that's what you're hinting on when you said opportunity. And clearly everybody else that's resonating with them is there is an opportunity here to grow uh, because anytime we're challenged or uncomfortable, there is an opportunity to grow. It doesn't mean that we do. And it doesn't mean that we don't have to take care of like things to survive. Of course, like people need to do basic need type stuff, like bottom of the hierarchy of needs type stuff right now. And there's privilege in the ability to spend time with my daughter rather than being working at a grocery store. So this isn't an apples to apples deal, but I do think it's important for people to think about those types of ideas and concepts that you're hitting on. All right, here's what I want to do. I could talk to you all forever. Uh, love listening and learning from you all, um, but I want to respect our time. And so Melissa, I'd love for you to go first. Uh, first of all, you mentioned uh, your book and um, what you're up to now. I also want you to just hit on at the end. And if you have to jump off, totally cool. But I also want you to just hit on if there's anything that we should be doing differently when we're in crisis, because I heard a lot today from Daniel and Betsy and, and yourself, like, Hey, this is what great communication looks like. And this is what leadership looks like. But I am curious if there's anything that 
people should be doing differently because we are in a crisis. You said, hey, everybody's in this. Is there anything that you recommend people shift how they communicate uh, in a time like this? Um, so promote, and then if there's anything that you think people should be shifting in, during this time. Let me answer that one first. Um, it's really, really easy to get fear-based reactions or to, to execute on fear-based reactions and fear-based actions. So when your business, when you don't know where your business is going to be in a month or in a year because of right now, and you have no foresight really to tell you what that's going to look like, it's so easy to want to go out and kind of just creatively market something or just make the wrong decision that is fear-based today that doesn't serve you tomorrow. So I think that's the biggest thing to be mindful of is everything that we're talking about here today is so important and that, and it's so, you know, I said it earlier, you can't um, beat emotion with logic. And when you are the emotional one, it's so hard to see out of that. It's so hard to not be fear-based. And I, I'm human. I know what that is, right? Um, I know what it is because I see it with my clients. And I know it is because I experience it myself. And so the question that I, I think that I would want everybody to kind of keep as, as their beacon is who do you want to be and how do you want to be proud of yourself when all of this is over? And that's in context with your family and your friends and your loved ones and the strangers on the street, as well as in context with your business, obviously. So with your stakeholders, from your employees to your investors, to your clients and your customers, to your board of directors, to your vendors, everybody, who do you want to be and how do you want to be proud of that person and that brand? you know, in two months time and one year's time. And Melissa, is that different that, though? Is that, is that different from? No, like, that's not different, but it, what's different is that it's so easy to be fear-based right now. It's so easy to be scared and then to make the wrong decisions for a short-term kind of fix that doesn't actually give you anything. And that also damages you long-term. So that's, there's a bigger risk right now with not doing that. Um, ethical, you know, people, compassionate people, they see that all the time. Who do I want to be? Who do I want my legacy to be? Who do I want to, you know, to be remembered and seen as when I'm, when I'm gone, what do I want to leave behind? Absolutely. But when it's fear-based, it can be really, really challenging to hold true to that. Um, so that's what I'll leave with. And then a thank you to you, Brian, and to each of you. It's been fascinating and really wonderful listening to all of you. So thank you for taking the time and thank you for creating the space, Brian, for all of us to be here. Um, and then the, you know, the two things is the crisis ready um, book. Uh, building an invincible brand in an uncertain world. Um, it is a roadmap for this managing this crisis as well as building that crisis resilient culture um, moving forward. And the Crisis Ready Institute, I'm building that up to be the, the premium place to have all of your questions answered with regards to your crisis readiness. Um, it's brand new. It just launched. It was scheduled to launch in a couple months. It launched prematurely, or not prematurely, but early because of the setting. Um, and I just kind of, uh, you know, Betsy to our conversation on it. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Is let's get an ad hoc website up and let's start blogging. Let's pull my community together and start getting resources out there. Um, so crisisreadyinstitute.com is where that's at. And again, thank you. Awesome. And you're also on Twitter. All of you are, twi are tweeters. Melissa, where can people find you on Twitter? <laughs> Melissa underscore Agnes on Twitter and then Melissa Agnes everywhere else. Thanks, Melissa. And uh, Melissa's got to jump. She is about to do a webinar for 2000 nurses. And uh, so she emailed me and said, Hey, Brian, do you mind if we have a hard stop? And so the hard stop is right now. So Melissa, thank you for giving us your time. And, and please give those nurses our best. I mean, talk about privilege and, and what they're what they're going through. So we appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Bye Melissa. Take care, Thanks, Melissa. Melissa.
Betsy, why don't you go next? Yeah, and I, a little time, Melissa had to sign off because I wanted to circle back on the message she shared is really important. And that question, the central question, keeping in mind of who do I want to be during this time? What I've been talking to coaches and administrators about is history will remember March 12th as the day sports stops. That's part of our history now. The story yet to be written is who were we during this time and what did we do? So what's the story that we want to be able to tell about this time with our team in the future, with our program in the future, with our organization, with our university, with our families, with our friends. So we get to, we talk about choice a lot today, we get to choose how we want to handle ourselves in this time. We get to choose what it is that we want to focus on. I love that we were talking about holding two opposing things to be true. You know, we're talking about opportunity, Brent. We had the opportunity as professionals to say, I get to choose that I can be a professional and not wear pants. Now, I mean, this is an unprecedented thing that we get to choose if we want because we're doing virtual presentations. So there's so many, again, I'll, I'll say there's so many great things I think that are coming out of the challenge and the adversity of this time. I'm excited to see where we land. I'm hopeful that some things will stick long after life returns to more of the way it was before we started to experience this pandemic together. But thank you, Brian, for bringing us together and, and allowing us to have this dialogue and have this conversation. And if there's an exercise for people who feel like they may be more stuck in that fear-based way of thinking, what I would ask you to do is to say, or write out for yourself, I can't do this, but I can still do this. Or, you know, so though I can't see my teammates in person, I can still talk with them remotely. Or though I can't go speak on this stage the way I'd planned to, I can still reach this audience or serve this audience in this way. So take what's true for you and what your fear-based thought pattern is telling you, and then also identify what's still true or the ways that you can potentially change that if you choose to. All right. But Betsy, I want to, I want to just yeah. push you a little bit here. So sure. let me yeah. give an example. I was not going to do a panel discussion podcast until yeah. this thing happened. And so I decided to shift courses um, and I still have a bunch of podcasts that I'm going to put out and continue to put out. But that was a change that I made during this crisis, right? You talk about, you know, wearing, I'm wearing shorts right now, right? I, <laughs> I typically am wearing pants, right? That's a change. But like, for me, there is a massive question that I think a lot of people are dealing with, which is, do I sell during a crisis? Um, and yeah. to Bram's question about opportunity, um, I think that's probably the part we don't want to come off as being opportunistic in, in a way of taking advantage of. Um, and I think there, I work with a lot of people in sales right now who are like, what do I do? I, what's appropriate? And so I'm just curious if there's any messaging, and this can go for, for everybody here. Is there anything that you think about from a external communication, um, how you think about that external communication, given the situation that we're in right now and, and how, that, how that plays? Absolutely. It's a super sensitive area for a lot of entrepreneurs, for business owners right now is, you know, I don't want to, Bram, you mentioned opportunity. I don't want to take advantage of a crisis, so to speak. For me, it comes back to asking the question, what do I have that I feel is of service to the world right now? They can't buy what they're not aware of. And so keeping that in mind of what's my purpose here? What's my intention? with putting forth something that is for purchase or for sale. Countering that too, if you really have a, you know, this like, oh, I don't want this to come off the wrong way. 
so many people are giving away things for free right now or offering to do things that maybe they weren't planning on doing before, but they feel are valuable or of service, that will likely net you a larger return on investment over time. And it's being of service right now in a way that doesn't feel salesy, so to speak. So I'll say from my perspective, I have a digital course that's for college coaches, high school coaches, all genders, all sports, and it's called Winning with Words Championship Communication for Coaches. It's something that anybody could buy prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. And now it's something that coaches are seeing, well, I'm here at home. I'm looking for ways to develop myself because I can't go to the Final Four convention like I planned. I can't meet with my sporting organization the way I plan to learn and grow. So it's something that they can do from home. If I don't let them know that I have that product and opportunity available, they can't benefit from it. I know it's beneficial, so I put it out there. So framing everything in the way that makes you feel like you're being true to yourself and not taking advantage of a situation, but being of service during a situation. That would be my advice. Love that. All right, where can people learn more about you and, and the work that you're doing? Sure, BetsyButterick.com is the website. You can follow me on Twitter at Betsy Butterick and on Instagram, it's Betsy underscore the coaches coach, all one word. Awesome. Betsy, thank you so much. Daniel, why don't you go next? Sure. Um, what's the, wait, what's the question? What should we be yeah, doing, is there doing anything, differently? Yeah. Is there anything? Are you wearing pants? That's are you wearing question. pants? The <laughs> answer is yes, I am because <laughs> it's really uncomfortable to sit in a chair without pants. Uh, everyone knows that. Um, my one piece of advice is everyone should get this rocking stool that I have, by the way. I didn't have a really great home office set up because I used to travel so much. And my new favorite thing, I'm backing up so I can just lift it up. I can send the link out. It is a rocking, adjustable height rocking stool. It's amazing because we are sitting on calls a lot more and chairs are terrible. And so I can, I'm actually using my core and I can lower down and I can raise up. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> so that's one thing people should be like, actually take care of your space, right? Make sure you have a good space to do your work in. And I think that's the other thing that people can be doing differently. Uh, <laughs> this is a funny way to put it, but we've had 40,000 some odd years as modern humans, like walking, talking, cooking, singing, speaking and communicating and we're still like pretty mixed good okay not always good about it you know you look at plato rhetoric awesome times in ancient greece like plenty of board meetings plenty of dialogues and conversations go pretty badly even though we've had forty thousand years of practice and we've had like maybe 20 30 40 years of the modern office and this is my point our world is designed we have designed our spaces. We have whiteboards. We had sticky notes. We have boardrooms. And they were terrible places to have meetings because they'd have, you'd have some jerk at the front of the table who would kick off the conversation and somebody else who would interrupt them and try to hold their case. And we were making PowerPoint presentations and we should have been having dialogues. And our spaces didn't always serve us. And now we're in this space here and we do not know how to have conversations online. And now we have to learn. I still think that some of the patterns that were good in in-person conversation are still good, right? Like making sure everyone can have their say, being clear on who has decision-making rights and why the conversation even matters. Like those were things we should have been doing and sometimes were doing when we were meeting in real life. And now that we're don't have body language and eye contact and we can't say, Hey, 
why don't you say something about that? Or, oh, wait, hold on. I can't hold up my hand and say, hey, hold on one second. We need to be able to get together and have better dialogues and to make better decisions as groups. And it was hard in real life and it's even harder online. So I, part of me, the reason I say this is like, be a little patient with yourself. Everyone needs to be a little patient. We've had a long time to learn and we're still mediocre at it. And we're, we've, we've been doing this, some of us for just a month. Other people have been doing remote and distributed work for longer. It does take more awareness. It takes more intentionality. Hey Daniel, more, you know, uh, process. I'm going to interrupt you because I have a question. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so I, I've heard multiple people tell me that they actually think people are less grandstanding on, on these Zoom calls and yeah. are, are more listening. And I had one person tell me, you know, it's interesting on these calls, I'm looking at myself. And <laughs> it's, no, there's no, a like, feedback loop. There's a feedback loop. You don't get that. And everybody's, it doesn't matter how, you kind of have headshots, right? Like these are headshots looks. So I think a lot of the noise is actually reduced. On, oh yeah. There's on, some on, pluses and also it's huge. cheaper to meet together. The carbon footprint is lower. We can get people, we can meet more often without the bigger cost. You know, that quarterly meeting or the annual meeting where you flew everyone together to have this big uh, messy conversation that, you know, whether or not you uh, got exactly what you needed out of it was like 50, 50. You can have, you don't have to wait for a crisis to have a crisis ready uh, decision-making meeting. We can get everyone together every day, every week, every month. And if they're in India or Australia or Iowa, the cost is the same to get them together. So there's tremendous advantages to meeting remotely. We just have to be intentional about our process and forgiving of the fact that we don't, we're not great at it yet. It, it'll take some time. It would be so fascinating to read research on communication via a, a platform like this compared to a, a boardroom. And cause yeah. I do, I, I think you have that long boardroom table. It's one person's over there, one person's there. Here, everybody's kind of equal and everyone's yeah. kind of the same space and occupying the same space. So, hey, if you're listening to this and you want to study that and research it, I'd love to read about it. Um, but Daniel, where can people learn more about what you're up to and, and find you? The internet, I'm super Googleable. Um, <laughs> Everything I do is on the internet. I my podcast and my uh, education consulting company is at theconversationfactory.com, and you can uh, also find me at danielstillman.com. And if you go to the Conversation Factory, uh, you can download two free chapters of my almost out book called Good Talk. That's the other thing that I'm plugging because I you know. And here's the thing: I think if everyone's more intentional about how they communicate, the world would be like just a nicer place. So um, I hope that, uh, it w you know, one president reads my book. <laughs> not just one, not just, a, <laughs> I mean, just any of the presidents. Anyone, would be great. you'll take anyone. I mean, ours, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> any president. Take cool. any president. <laughs> All right, Bram, why don't you uh, take us home? So anything that you think people should be more intentional about when it comes to how they're communicating in crisis and also where people can find you and learn about what you're up to. Sure. Um, so I am nowhere near an expert on all these things. All I can talk about is just my life experience, right? And so for me, like, um, I never got depressed over things that happened to me. I got depressed by decisions I made. 
so um, I like to think about, you know, what's happening to all of us right now is happening to all of us, but it's out of your control. Um, how you handle it moving forward is um, probably the best way that you're going to get through it. And just like as you all keep bringing up intention and things like that, I think we all kind of are on the same wavelength that the right type of attitude, positivity, optimism, that kind of energy goes into the universe and comes back to you. And I believe in that stuff. And again, like I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm an expert on any of those subjects. That's just how I've, you know, navigated my life thus far. And a lot of the things that I've wanted to get and achieved have been by determination, optimism, hardworking, you know, uh, ingenuity, enterprising, and you know, like in this case, I feel like we're navigating something, but we need to do it in a way that's productive. And um, I feel like that's the best way for me to go forward. And, um, you know, I hope others kind of see it that way, that um, you, if you sit around and, I, you know, the other thing too for me, and I just find this personally, I need to stay busy. I can't sit around and just think about bad things happening. Um, you know, I just, when I, I made a personal decision in my um, professional life once, that was a big mistake. And afterwards, I, um, I really kind of just sat around and waited for things to happen, just assuming that they would. And that's what really brought on a depression for me was sitting around and wondering why I did what I did. Why aren't people reacting to me and not creating and moving forward and doing something different and charting your own path again. And once I came around to that, um, you know, I feel like just generally my mental health is better. And I think now for me, and I think for a lot of people, like, yeah, a lot of, there are things like in Betsy's world, like things are really literally shut down um, in my world too, to some degree, um, but, but they are, and that's gotta be hard, but there's still opportunity here to either personally grow, professionally grow, and probably in very different ways than you anticipated. But uh, my best piece of advice, at least from my life experience, is to do that and to move forward and to take the cards that you're dealt and make the best hand uh, that you can get out of it. And, and don't sit back and ruminate over the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion on it. Uh, finding me, yeah, find me. Uh, let's see, Twitter, Real Brand W. I don't post a lot. I'm more of a lurker there. Um, my company is uh, Empire Media, A-M-P-I-R-E, media.com, and we create podcasts. And doing a lot now with mobile workforces and workplaces changing. Internal communications is a big issue and thing that companies are trying to navigate. Uh, external communications as well in the midst of changing dynamics and business. And then, of course, we create a lot of shows and series and uh, I'm around and always looking for projects. So if you want to talk and, and actually to Betsy's point too, I really appreciate that you're giving your course away. You know, a lot of people are reaching out to me because they're all of a sudden do have a lot of time on their hands and those projects that they wanted to create are there, whether it's personal or business oriented. And 90% of the conversations I'm having with them is just, here's best practices. If you want to work with me, that's fine, but, but here's how to do it. Here's how I would do it. Here's how you should do it. Here's the best opportunity you have to be successful with it. And I think, you know, in the end, that that's the best way to move forward here. That I, I don't want to be salesy either. You know, I'd love to work with people. I'd love to create new things. But if I can help them put their best foot forward by using some of the expertise I have in my craft, then that's the best outcome I can, I can come up with. There's been some, some similar themes throughout all of these conversations. There's been playing the long game rather than the short game. And I think, especially when you're in a crisis, Melissa was sort of saying that a lot of people will make decisions in the, in the short term without thinking about the long term. And so thinking about the long term, also going back to your purpose and whatever your purpose is and, and tapping into that right now 
And so for me, like that's been what this has all been about for me is I want to be in service. And there's two things that I've really tried to be uh, in service to when it comes to myself is lifelong learning and connection. And so for me, this has been somewhat selfish in the sense that I get to learn more from people that I already know I like learning from. And then I get to connect with them and hopefully they get to connect with each other. Uh, and then furthermore, by broadcasting it, it gives others the opportunity to learn and others the opportunity to connect with people that I believe in and people that I've been fortunate to have come into my life in some capacity. So I want to thank you all for being here. And I encourage everybody to continue to learn from these people as well as whoever else might be in your headphones or, or on your laptop or your TV that is intentional and helping you show up to be your best. And I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram, intentional underscore performers. And you can listen to all these conversations at intentionalperformers.com. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, Hopefully we uh, showed up as best we can. Um, and then if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you got some good nuggets. Uh, thank you all so much for being here and looking forward to many more conversations with all of you. Daniel has something to say, so I'm going to let Daniel go. Yes, I do. I have one more thing I want to give, give away to people. I didn't even realize this is something that I'm doing, but if you want to be able to connect with people better from afar, there's a little trick that I do. I use the back end of an upside down sticky note and I put a smiley face on it. And that helps me look at the camera and connect with people more. It's actually really hard to connect with people when you're far away. And that's just, so I, I posted it recently. I didn't even know it was a thing that I did. Somebody noticed it on a call that I was on. And it's just, if you want to connect with people better, like it's hard to look at that little dot. So that's just my, I just want to make sure I gave somebody something free and actionable that they can do right now. What for sharing now, what makes me happy is staring at this picture of me <laughs> oh and Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> Okay. So how old are you? Is that, is that how old are you in that? Behind your, uh, your, your camera? Uh, let's see. This is from the early 1990s. He was look just drafted. Look at his amazing. pants. Look at his necklace. Look at my jacket. It doesn't fit. I mean, look at that tie. Everything about this picture to me is perfect. It makes me very happy. That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. I have uh, in my pencil jar that's right by the desk, I have these little guys. Oh, I love those guys. They just those go on top of the tentacles, and those are kind of fun. Um, you, Daniel, you reminded me. So speaking of free things, on YouTube, if you search Betsy Better, there's 30 ACT videos. ACT stands for Active Communication Technique. All the videos are roughly two minutes in length or less, and there's something anybody can do today to improve the way they communicate and connect with other people. Brian, you mentioned connection, so I was like, ah, I need to mention the ACT videos. But yeah, those are totally free. Um, I hope you enjoy. Check them out. Hey, Brad, thank you for that photo. That, that's <laughs> Precious. That's amazing. Those pants. Prize possession. Be safe, be well, be healthy. See you all soon. Thank you so much. Wash your hands. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye,